Every day I'm hustling, 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 hustling. Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm Welcome to a Cigar Hustlers Podcast, where we take a closer look at the people of the cigar industry with your host, Mike and Mike. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Mike, too. And this is a Cigar Hustlers Podcast. We have a very special guest today. His name is Casey Hogan from Crux. Right? Yes. That's your name, right? Casey Hogan from Crux Cigar. Say hi. Thank you for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure to be here so far today. It's so nice to have you here. I mean, this is like your third time in the shop, and, you know, we appreciate you really, you know, putting forth the effort and coming in. You know, I like like coming here because, you know, you have have what you think are great friends in the industry until they haven't seen you for 36 hours, and then (laughs) they become really disappointed in you. So when you make that strong effort to really go a little bit farther than you would for anybody else, you know, that's when you feel like you're welcome. You come in. Great big arms, big hugs. You yep. know, a lot of great things happening here at Star Hustle. Yeah, and then you know, then they poop all over you, which is you know, fair. Tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> we'll talk about you after you leave. I mean, in all fairness, though, you know, I do give you a hard time and shit. But however, you know, I go out on the road pff, once every two or three months, and that's fucking genuine. You know, like generous of a statement for me to say something like that because I hardly ever go out. I mean, granted, you are in Miami and we're up in Deltona. It's only like a four-hour difference. You could come up for like a weekend to kind of shoot shoot the shit, but... Um Whatever, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's a lot of week. There's 52 weekends in a year, I think. I think that's the number they use. And, um, <laughs> you know, some of those are tied with, you know, other people, uh, like my family and my friends. You don't have a Outside family. of the business. You don't have friends. I see where it's right. But I live by myself in Miami, so when I'm down there after traveling, week in and week out, right. not once in a blue moon, right. like my weekend, at least my Sunday, I try to relax and play golf. You don't play golf. That's why we're not completely 100% close. It's true. But we can get into those details. I think later. that on a Sunday you kind of go into a dark room and just cry. Well, it's golf, golf course and cry. Golf course and cry. I, don't, I mean, you, why are you backing him up on this? You're supposed to be you're the co-producer. I'm sorry, and back into the dark hole and cry <laughs> for the love of Christ. All right, so hey, so we got to you know you got a great story, and um, we're excited to have you on the show because you've done a lot of rare things that uh, I don't think anybody in, in the tobacco industry has really done. Uh, you, you skipped what are we smoking? We always do that in the morning. Ah, yes. Well, that's we kind of throw it in the sometimes. executive producer. So, Casey, so. tell us what we are smoking. Today we are smoking the newest release by Crux Cigars, the Epicure. Uh, came out uh, end of last year. It's got an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, uh, Nicaraguan filler binder. It's going to be medium, uh, mild, medium plus, um, creamy, really good cigar for us. Our first shot at a Connecticut, and we're really happy with oh, it. Oh, it's very nice so far. So, he so did far, that so very good. well. Like he's done it once. He's a twice. professional. He's a professional. All right, so I'm going to start lightly in 2007 because I mean that's kind of where you where you, your transition into the tobacco industry is. But but at a young age, you were in college, right? Well, I was uh, as a young age. I was born in 1984, that's so we can start nice. there. We'll fast Ooh. forward to 2007 when I graduated <laughs> from college, uh, from St. John's University in Minnesota, and started working for my cousin and and, and uh, owner of Crux partner, uh, Jeff Hogan, who uh, 
has tobacco retail stores in Minnesota, you know, premium cigar shops, mm-hmm. uh, some of the best, one of the best in uh, all of Minnesota, if not the, and, uh, you know, he kind of introduced me. I've been around cigars my whole life because, you know, my older cousin uh, had always had me around it, uh, got out of college and had the opportunity to work for him at one of his stores, um, and it was kind of my first uh, introduction professionally into the cigar world. Okay, but what did you do, what did you go to college for? Uh, business degree, St. Okay. John's University. Okay. Um, all right, so you started off at Tobacco, at Tobacco Grove in 2007, and then uh, you were also a professional baseball player. Yes, I randomly was selected by, uh, we, I played college baseball, so it's not just, didn't just, it is just a walk in. Didn't just it's walk, walk in. in. Uh, I got a call from a scout who was a coach in uh, our league. Uh, seven games in, their 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 catcher went down. Mm. I got a call, and I never heard much about this independent league. And you know, I was always a guy who was, you know, I was all region. I was a gold, all region Gold Glove. I was all conference. So I was a good college baseball player. Nothing great. I was good. Um, wow. And never thought like uh, the next level was an opportunity until one day out of the blue, uh, I got a call and I uh, asked my dad, who happens to be a college baseball coach for where I played at St. John's. He's been there for forty plus years. Mm-hmm. He's got his he's got his own field named after him. It's, it's pretty kind big. of a big deal. He's kind of a big deal. It's <laughs> kind of the reason why I got to play. Um, but uh, it worked out, and I had a pretty good career. But I got the opportunity, and I ended up playing uh, just over two years of independent minor league baseball through three different leagues, five different teams. I was a meander. I was the 10th man. I was a catcher. Good enough to be there, not good enough to stay put. Mm-hmm. Uh, played in Fargo, Winnipeg, uh, Evansville, Indiana, Shreveport, Louisiana, and had a cup of coffee in Washington, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> So what was the favorite your favorite team that you played for? Uh, the favorite team I played for, well, I played most of the time. I had a full season with Fargo-Moorhead, so that was a lot of the memories yeah. in that Northwood, uh, Northern League it was at the time. Uh, and they've all combined, so I'm not sure what they call them now. Um, but uh, it was it was a great. We made it to the you know the, the second round of the playoffs. Traveled all over the country and gave me the opportunity to travel for two and a half years outside of Minnesota. I mean, I'm a small town kid from Central Minnesota who mm-hmm. went to a small town com- uh, college right next to where he grew up, and that was life. Hadn't really heard you know people speak English. There's uh, languages other than English. Uh, didn't have a passport. Right. And I thought, what's what else is there? It never really crossed my mind. So it really opened my eyes up to what else is out there in the world. Okay, so why did you leave baseball? Well, you don't really get to leave. <laughs> so when they say we're not going to give you a paycheck anymore, and these paychecks were astronomically large numbers for me. My first contract was $800 a month, guaranteed, Ooh, guaranteed for wow. one day. That's nice. I did reach an extent at the time in Evansville in the Frontier League where I was making league max at 1600 a month. Nice. So I, I kind of felt like a baller. It was also for a short stint at the end of a season, and they needed a catcher. <laughs> the versatility of being a catcher, but I can say I got paid league max for a couple months. Um, and then uh, after I had that cup of coffee in Washington, Pennsylvania, uh, it just really wasn't working out. I mean, like I said, good enough to be there for a while, had the opportunities, and some some moves just didn't go my way. And, uh, you know, you end up going back to Minneapolis and, you, you know, hope for that next call, but you hang it up because nobody else wants you. Right. All right, so in the time that you're doing all this and you're in the baseball, you're in the minor leagues, you're also working at the retail shop, correct? Well, yes. The, the, well, not during the season, obviously. We, right. we played 96 games in 110, 15 days. Basically, you had every other Monday off. So it's basically summer baseball for four months. Okay. And so the rest of the year, I was getting paid those high salaries of 800 to $1,600 a month. Um, you 
got to have a job, a real job to right. at least at least eat for the off season and you know get your gym membership and that kind of stuff and start paying student loans. So so you only get paid during season. Oh, of course, you only get paid during no, season. It's not twelve months. It's oh, just, it's right, it's, it's a it's just... a every day you're there you get it you get your your portion. If you take a day off, if you I had one time where I had to quit, you know fly back for a reason for the family thing. Right, I, I didn't get paid that day. Um, wow. Um, wow! It's independent minor league baseball. It's it's a cutthroat it's a cutthroat league. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to be there, you know, and they I mean, so very few people get the opportunity to play college baseball yet minor league baseball, and it was awesome. But I was an undrafted, mm-hmm. um, unrecruited last minute signee that was a fill-in guy that right. got the opportunity so there was guys making real money in some of those leagues we're talking upwards of six thousand dollars a month with signing bonuses with incentives but i was a i was a throwaway guy they could have replaced me any given moment thankfully i got there and had some success early on and i uh, was given the opportunity to continue to play i thought i could have been there for a day a week a month right. a season um but uh it was it's kind of strange you have a 22-man roster and i think my first year i had over 45 teammates Wow. Because the ever the everlasting rotation of those last few spots. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I was a catcher, was also fast, got on base. Um, so I was kind of, you know, that 10th man that could catch, which you need a second catcher. But I could also play the outfield. I could run. I could bunt. I could swing, you know. So I, I had some uh, kind of utility player aspects. And that's mm-hmm. really the only reason why I got to hang out. Okay. So I don't know a lot about baseball. I apologize. That's okay. Um, so, but essentially... In order to get into the MLB, a major path is through that minor league baseball? Uh, it wouldn't be the direct path. It would be the secondary option right. for guys that aren't willing to hang it up and still have it's That league, independent league, is kind of the guys that didn't get drafted to have an option or the guys that are kind of on the way down. Okay. That have, I mean, we played with, I had a couple guys that we played with that did have, you know, some time in major leagues, triple A, double A. And depending on which independent league, um, the. Competition is stiff. It's good right. competition. We're talking high A to double A to, I mean, even some of the the East Coast independent leagues have, uh, you know, a lot of double and triple A X players that, you know, just f- flailed out there. So it's kind of the guys that didn't get the great start, that, mm-hmm. that weren't that great out of college or get drafted, um, and never got that, you know, that they call that the affiliated ball league. Right. Um, they never got that opportunity, but it's either the way up or the way down. Gotcha. So That's got to suck, going backwards. It's. I mean, I never got to go backwards, so right. I was thankful just to be there, but I'll just remember I saw this guy uh, one of my first games, and I was pretty good in college, but I never knew if I could play at that level. I was getting the opportunity day one. Guy's throwing 96 miles an hour. Yikes. And I'm like, why is he here? And somebody <laughs> goes, watch the next pitch. 96 corner, 96 corner, 96 backstop. Mm-hmm. So they're there at our league because, yeah, there was talent but the control wasn't quite there. Guys could hit home runs. Guys just didn't hit for average. Guys could throw hard. Guys had great pitches, but they didn't control it. So it was a very difficult league. They've always said uh, the hardest league to hit in, in in affiliated ball is high A because there's all the talent and none of the control. So it was a very difficult league, and you know somehow you find a way to succeed if you're going to continue. Okay, so I'm assuming that 96 backstop was bad. 96 of the backstop means uh, watch out, it might hit you in the head. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's, that was, like I'm assuming like that's definitely not good. That's it's definitely, it's yeah. an old Bur- Bull yeah. Durham reference. Just you know, a bit outside. Just a bit outside. <laughs> Tried the corner and missed. Yeah, ball eight and ball 12. He's lost something, you know. <laughs> All right, so... You were uh, terminated from the minor leagues, and uh, I like to call it retired. You're okay. You're re- you. I mean, but it's retired. forced retirement. So let me ask you: Who like was? Is there a particular player that comes in mind that was in the minor leagues that made it to the major leagues, kind of like 
uh, somebody that you crushed, played with, you know, that we might may, recognize? No, maybe not necessarily somebody that you played with, but a person that was, you know, that went that route that was, you know, I don't know, upper tier into the MLB. Well, the, one of the guys that I remember that was coming down that kind of went that and I ended up getting to play with was a guy named Juan Mello. Uh, he was on his way. He had, like I, I used the word, cup of coffee, meaning being there for a minute. He had a cup right. of coffee in the uh, in Major League Baseball. But then there's guys that I played with from all over the country. I mean, Dominican guys, Nicaraguan guys um, that you know, they never really got the shake. There was guys that were first-round draft picks. Uh, a big left-hander out of uh, Vanderbilt College who was drafted 15th overall in 1998 in front of CC Sabathia. Mm-hmm. They were both left-handed pitchers. Was a friend. Uh, was a teammate of mine. Uh, you know, some just great players that right. got an injured. They did something. They were first-round draft picks. Got injured. Never got the shake. Um, some guys that were you know ended up being Atlantic League All Stars, uh, MVPs uh, in different minds. So. It's hard to pick just a few names because it's there's so many right. of guys that had shots, but major players that like that people would know. There's I don't have one to tell right. you. Okay. All right. So five years, uh, four or five years of that rough, and then about 2013, you became the operating manager for Crux. Well, right? let's let's rewind just a yes, minute there. Let's so let's rewind. So after that was over, uh, I went back to Minneapolis and had told Cuz I was I was retired unless somebody gave me another opportunity, mm-hmm. which uh, after a couple months it hadn't happened, and I had kind of had the realization of you know life after baseball now, and now it's all my buddies have been you know getting real jobs for two years, and they're two years in front of me, right. even though they would have traded everything they had to do what I was doing, traveling all over the country, playing baseball for a living, right. and, you know, it was awesome, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't trade it for the world, um, but I then wasn't satisfied living in the cold Minnesota, and mm-hmm. I needed to find a real job, so I ended up moving to Nevada mm-hmm. with a college friend of mine just to start just to look for a job, and it was smart for me because at the time, the unemployment rate in Nevada was like 15%, which I don't know if people know numbers. That's the astronomically highest that's it's high. ever yeah, been. That's really high. Highest it's ever been in one state at a time. But, I mean, I had a college degree, and I had a drive, and I needed to get a job, but I didn't want to start it in Minneapolis because I had had the last two years of travel all over the country and realized there's more to the world than central Minnesota. Right. So that was one of the best decisions I ever made to play was to get to experience a lot more and ended up uh, moving to Nevada, lucked into a great deal um, running a uh, retail golf store. Okay. In like the second month I was there uh, after my first job, which I tell people was a Calvin Klein model. Um, <laughs> as actually, it was actually three shifts at Calvin Klein to pay the to you know pay some rent because oh, I very nice. I didn't have any money, but I, I moved out there broke, didn't care, it was ready to go. Um, but it was it was a great experience that turned into uh, running that golf company within the first six months. Uh, the guy who was running it left, and they gave me the opportunity. And uh, you know, you grow a company um, from you know under under a million a year to over four million in three and a half years. I mean, you're I got to, right. I'm, you're doing something right, and that was the experience I needed um, in the real world to learn how to do a business. Right, and I got to do it on somebody else's time, on somebody else's dime. Um, you learned being a lot, of, doing a lot of things right. Right, um, but Jeff and I had always talked about since I had left about you know this opportunity of do we want to manufacture cigars, and he actually called me. Begin late 12, early 13, and asked me if I wanted to get back in. And at the time, I was like, no way. Because right. my interpretation was moving back to Minnesota. Right. 
I've just been living the dream, playing 150 rounds of golf a year, being in the golf business, being outside, my buddies, having such a great time. If anybody's ever been to Las Vegas, it's a pretty fun place. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lived off the strip, so it wasn't that same life. But, I mean, playing golf all year round, it was awesome. Um, but it was a great time because he told me I could live in Florida. Ah. I said that's a different. Yeah, that's a little bit better. It's a different than, game. He goes, yeah, you can live s- South Florida, or there's opportunities in Texas, or you know wherever. And we ended up settling on South Florida. So he had been doing some research himself. Um, obviously, he'd been a retailer at the time for going on now 25 years, but at the time like 17, 18, 19 years, whatever the numbers are, Jeff right. can tell you. Um, and he spent three years in Central America. Um, doing a SWOT analysis in every factory. He was basically there a week a month um, going through every factory, learning the blending process, because he was a retailer, but obviously not a cigar blender. And he really wanted the process, and he wanted to be a, you know, a cigar company um, because the taxes were so high in Minnesota. Um, at the time, they were 95% with a $3.50 cap. So in order to expand, you had to do more than just have retail stores in the state of Minnesota. So that's why the manufacturing side came about. And he did his due diligence going through all the factories, going through all the countries, learning the blending process, learning about tobacco. And really, the time I was in Vegas, he was doing his own research, his personal growth in the blending side of things as I was doing my personal growth in the business side of things. Okay. That's awesome. So so you went over so. So Jeff, just to clarify everything, that Jeff is your cousin, correct? Correct. And he runs Tobacco Grove, and he started to to kind of gravitate into the production of his own cigars. Right? About about ten years ago, yeah, he started that, um, and it was kind of some private label stuff that he'd go down. You know, like retailers head down to Central America all the time, and they blend stuff. They have private label stuff that they like, but he really wanted to know the whole process. So he spent fifty some trips, you know, over three years traveling from Minneapolis, and that's a long trip to get down there, and he, he was dedicated to learning the process so we could have a company. So he's our blender. He blends 100% of everything we make, uh, and I just try to continually uh, get the same consistency out of what he's designed. Right. So you do go down to Esteli, Nicaragua, and, and check on... Correct. I'm down, I mean, I'm based out of Miami, so I get down there five to seven times a year, so every... Start a production and a production packing. Um, I mean, I've been there many, many times over the last four years, but uh, five to seven times a year usually. Okay, so the job took off in 2013. You became the operating manager at that point for Crux. Yeah, right? we were getting we were getting prepared to launch Crux at the 2014 IPCPR, which was in Las Vegas. Okay. And Jeff, had, you know, and and Mark, who's our designer, another partner of ours. Uh, he they had gotten everything. While I was doing my Mark had his designs, Jeff had a you know a portfolio of blends that he was happy with, and it was really kind of putting the final touches together um, of we think we're about ready for this to become a real business. That's when he contacted me, and we had talked, um, and we started getting things rolling. So that was at the end of 13. Um, we started getting ready to launch in uh, 14 of uh, uh, July of 14. Ended up throwing um, our first la- launch cigar before the show was actually a unique cigar, which is called the Nymphomaniac, mm-hmm. which is a 7x33 double perfecto. Only ones that regularly produce that cigar in the, in the country because it's the hardest cigar to roll in the factory. It's kind of a the reason we did it was we were coming out in 60 days with a full portfolio. However, we needed to make a buzz. Nobody right. knew who Crux Cigars was. Nobody should have known. So we came out with these guys, and I think we opened up 15 to 20 retailers across the country mm-hmm. of friends of Jeff's and people that you know we could talk to from all his you know his 
longevity of connections through right. that, that took some of the cigars in some social media started happening and it's really developed into a kind of a people knew who we were a little bit in 14 and then we came out with you know five other blends at the show two months later okay so in 2014 you're um you're still in Las Vegas, right? And you're, you're in Nevada? And then uh, yeah, I would, beginning of 14, once we started getting going, I was going back and forth from Miami to uh, Nevada and down to Central America occasionally. Not as much at that point because Jeff was kind of just wrapping up the first blends. Right. And he had done all the quality control and that stuff to that point. I wasn't the, tob- the tobacco connoisseur at that point. I loved tobacco. I knew tobacco. I knew I could learn it. Um, but it was learning our products, the things that he'd made. Now we had a portfolio and an inventory. And so I was still uh, going back and forth looking for space, living in Nevada, going to Miami, you know, at least once a month for a week. So three weeks in Nevada, a week in Miami for like six months, uh, which that commute gets a little old. Right. Um, knowing we are going to do business operations out of South Florida. So we worked our way to the show, got everything ready. And then as soon as it's 2014 IPCPR was over, that's when I bolted and uh, officially became a Florida resident. Okay. So, but before you bolted, you got to tell the story about the dog. Okay. So I <laughs> always been a dog person, had two golden retrievers growing up, three golden retrievers growing up with my family, always been dog person. Excuse me. And my, my roommate in uh, in uh, Nevada had a dog, and I had talked about getting a dog. We had a yard. We had a fence. Like, why not get another one? So it shows up for Christmas in 2007, 8, somewhere in there. My roommate buys me a dog for Christmas. Okay, so now your roommate is a boy or a girl? It's a female. Okay, and you guys are not, it's a strictly... It's a platonic relationship. Right. She's actually, I, her, she's now married to one of my other best friends. Okay. Both, both of them who have been my roommates. And I like to be the one that says they had dated, didn't date, had dated, and I feel like I gave them that final kick in the ass to say, you two need to get this shit taken care of and then go get married and have babies. And, and now they did. So so they had babies? They do. They have two kids. Uh, he's in the Navy. He was based in he's Navy. Navy uh, went to St. John's, based in the Navy. He's been in the Navy now for 12 years, I think it is. No babies named Casey? No babies named Casey. How about that? How, how did they not so get a it's, Casey it's baby? kind of, I don't get the full credit. That's bullshit. Because a buddy of mine calls me. Uh, first year I'm in, in Nevada and says, hey, can you come visit me? I just got off the ship. I'm in Hawaii. It'll be fun. I just started a new job. I couldn't go. Mm-hmm. So I tell Krista, I think I think Jamie is his name. I go, I think Jamie, you know, he just needs a buddy. He's been on a ship. He misses his friends, his family, a little homesick. Right. Somebody's got to go and I can't go. I go, it's going to be you and you're going and it's free and it's paid for and you're going. And they were ex-boyfriend girlfriend who hadn't spoken in six months. Oh. And well, he spent three weeks in, in you know Honolulu, hanging out on the beach. You know things can happen. A little rekindling. So, little rekindle. So I tell him it's the end of the story, and she doesn't give me credit for that. Um, Damn but it. she's but she's wrong. She says it would have worked out either way. <laughs> I said, but uh, anyway, so she buys me this dog. Uh, great dog. It was a uh, shepherd, uh, b- uh, German shepherd, uh, red nose pit bull, which I then renamed the German red nose. So, nice. so you didn't have to tell people it was a pit bull. Right. Um, because pit bulls are not looked on upon as the most family-friendly dog, even right. though they're the most loyal dogs, I believe, out there. Right. Um, I loved it. So the dog has its own problems. And the well, quicker story, the dog ends up being a free dog and costing me almost $20,000. Right. Wow. Because 
It first and foremost ate a towel and lacerated its spleen and had a $9,000 bill on that. Nice. Uh, then we docked its tail uh, because it got what they call happy tail, uh, which bled everywhere, looked like a murder scene. Oh, it does. I had a great gain that happened to it. Yeah, happy tail. I taped, it for, I taped it for about six months, never healed, and one day, I don't know if she got tired of it or whatever, she chewed off half her tail. Oh, um, God. Happy as hell when it got there. I got home and there was a murder scene all over the house and <laughs> I saw blood everywhere and half her tail's missing, so we ended up docking that. That was another couple grand. Uh, then a couple more complications, just different stuff. And um, I was actually going to bring the dog to Florida uh-huh. when I moved. And uh, I had a house in uh, South Florida with a yard, same kind of setup I had. Um, but I wasn't traveling as much as I do now. And now right. it's and it's it's a it's a good thing it never worked out because of the time of the year you couldn't fly with a dog because of the heat in Nevada. Can't fly on a plane with a dog over 90 degrees underneath. Uh, because I wasn't going to register a pretend, you know, service animal because I don't need a service animal. Right. Um, I wasn't going to pretendly do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was my sister was going to drive it out, yada, yada, yada. The dog had another episode where it had to go in. She couldn't fly for six months. All these things came down to it. My roommate, who also has another dog, who was my next roommate after that, right. uh, the dogs lived together for four years, ended up having a great home. They lived together. The two dogs are best friends. Dogs taken care of. Dogs in a probably a better home than I could have it now. Even though we do a lot of fun things, but the best free dog I ever had cost me about twenty grand. That's fantastic. What's the dog's name? The dog's name is Callie. Callie, Callie the German Red Nose. Sounds like Greg's dog. <laughs> Greg has a twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, my brother has a very similar story. Where you know, I think that's how we originally got on the topic of the, of the conversation. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, because the dog got an IV every day. The dog doesn't no, no longer needs an IV, which is really S- nice. Step in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we got a couple of questions that we like to ask every uh, single person. Everybody gets these same three questions. And I don't think that you listen to our podcast, so you don't. He's not one of the ten people now. That hey, listen, we're getting more downloads. I downloaded the next episode, though. You did? The next one. This one coming up? The next, whatever the next one is. Whatever the next one is? I'll Casey from Crux? Yeah, I can download that. Uh, actually, it'll be Fred Rui. Fred Rui. Ooh, that'd one. be a good one. He, he gives a good interview. Good he yeah. did. We had a good time with Fred. All right, you ready? Here's the first question. What one person, living or dead, would you like to have a cigar with? Mm. Dun, dun, dun. It's going to be a pretty standard answer, but every time I get to have a cigar with my dad. Right. I mean, he's been my hero, my legend. He was my coach. Right. He's not a huge cigar smoker. Really only does it when I'm around him or when he's with my cousin and I. And those are the memories I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Right. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. All right, second question. Best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Mm. Always ask why. Always ask why. We might have changed the questions. People are getting too fast on the But answers. I beat my kids every time. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason so it is like, Daddy, it's, it's yeah. always like people are just satisfied with the answers. Right. And as somebody that wants to learn, if you're just doing what you're told, you're never going to learn. Right. You can, be t- you can learn what you're told. Right. But the behind that is ask why. You need the reason And it's such it. an easy question. Like, why do we do it that way? Why? Why do, here's, here's what you can do. Why? And their answer may be right, and it might be the right way to do it, and it might be the perfect way to do it, but it could also lead to other conversations about why. And I say asking why will make you a more intelligent person. But I told you to come on the podcast. You didn't say why. Yeah, I did. I knew why. Oh, okay. Why? Because this was going to help me and our relationship <laughs> blossom into a little bit closer because 36 hours ago we were fighting. And, and at least 36 hours from now we won't be. That's true. That's very true. We were fighting 36 hours ago? You were mad at somebody, uh, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, probably. Did, did he take your monster out of the refrigerator? I don't know. But that's definitely a problem that's going on in the shop, let me tell you. So, like, I 
drink the monster. Those are healthy, by the way. Yeah. You should do those more often. I just do like the one. Just like the, the, oh, the one on, a day. Man. Drink a bottle of water. Maybe have a cup of coffee. Um, you I know, do you, all that too. Yeah, but you know, we should really talk about your health because from the last time I saw you, you have a little bit different pigment in your face. You think so? I think you you need to either get in the sun, you need to hit the gym. I hit the gym every day. Then you need to do it better, more efficiently. Yeah, oh, f- you're doing the gym wrong. You know, I thought you said 36 hours ago we were fighting 36 hours from now we're gonna be good. Now you're I think ready. We have a no. fucking problem after the end of this podcast. But I'm I'm here to help. Yeah, well, you know, we got you got to reevaluate your crucial conversations and, and your ability to talk to people. Cause it's God, tough love. He's doing I mean, tough love. Fucking melting down over here. Now I got to go get into like a tanning booth or something. <laughs> That's never going to happen, by the way. But so, anyways, I was saying that I like to have the occasional, the occasional <laughs> monster. The zero, the white, the white, the white one, can. the zero, the no sugar, and no you know, I take no. my one, I keep it in the fridge, and then I, well, when I take that one out of the fridge, I put one back in the fridge. However, for whatever reason, something is going on here when I'm not here on the weekends that someone is taking my monsters, consuming my monsters, and not replacing them. So, like, I started today off like midday with a warm monster, which is a problem. You think you seem cranky? I think this all kind of stems back to what I was talking about. About if we just changed your <laughs> habits to more healthy habits, we could start with maybe some green tea, maybe a smoothie. You drink way more beer than I do. That's not true. It, that is very true. You're having one now, aren't you? So you've never had a beer? I have. You own a beer store. I do. I do not. I drink Guinness when I'm with you. So you, you pay full retail for yours. That's not my problem. Fair. I'm not paying right. for that one. That one. No, nah, you're not. You're, that's absolutely. <laughs> you're absolutely correct there. All right. So what's what's right, the next final question? final question? What is your favorite cigar? Ooh. Mine or somebody else's? Answer the question. Answer the question, please. <laughs> uh, my favorite cigar <laughs> deflecting. Th- that I smoke predominantly most uh, is our Deconnoisseur Number no. Three. Okay. It's a small little Panatel. That is a it's, really good cigar. I tell people it's. It's medium-bodied Habano. It's got you know 60% Lajero in it, which is, and it's a short smoke. It's uh, you know it's a Panatello. It's five and three eighths by five and five eighths by thirty-five. It's probably due to you know the time restraints that I have, uh, as well as it's just such a flavorful cigar. Okay, and one that isn't yours. I smoke uh, probably my number two. God, it's a toss-up between two of my good buddies that have really delicious cigars. Um, so I'm going to plug them both real quick. It's an HR Corona signature or the... Is that the 2000 Habano? It's this, the brown label yeah, the signature, 2000. The, 2000, the 2000, or the Roma Craft Intemperance uh, 4x42, I believe it's called the Intrigue. Okay, the BA. The BA. Okay, so now, of those two, which one? Which, I gotta have which one's better than the other. I gotta know which better, one. Better no. Best. I smoke more of the BAs. You smoke more of the BAs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Probably because I have friend. He's probably a better friend, and he gives me more cigars. Yeah. And the other guy's Skip. kind of a dick. He's and, definitely a dick. And definitely. Uh, yeah, Mike and Skip, they take care of me, and I see them. And they're more generous. Or I'm a better weasel. Um, but, but, you know, Spence is a great guy to a lot of people, just not to me. Oh, poor Spence. I love you, Spence. So, um, I, mean, I mean, we all love you, but, I mean, those things are all true. Yeah, those are, those are actual facts. Um, before we let you go, I did have to ask you one question. With your Crux design, was there a meaning for any of it on the logo? I mean, it's got kind of like a cross with a dagger and a well, ruby. Mark, who our designer, has designed all of our logos, and the logo is a very uh, unique word that we wanted something that kind of stood out. So it's got kind of the one of the 
uh, interpretations of the word crux is, is crucifixion as well as constellation as well as you know what's the crux of the matter uh, basically what's the point what's your decision and you know when you're trying to design a logo you want to have an, a recurring element so mark made the sword with the with the emblem uh the swarovski crystal by the way it's light siam if you wanted to know the color um, also, also known as bedazzling, which I've done plenty of. Uh, <laughs> we wanted a reoccurring element that, that kind of stayed true like the Nike swoosh. I mean, Nike's right. got a logo that says Nike, but they've evolved into it. Everybody sees a swoosh, they know what it is. Right. So not to say we're going to sell more cigars than Nike as shoes. You went with that attitude. But we will one day, um, <laughs> especially since I read Phil Knight's book. I exactly know what he did. Um, so I know how to do it. And, uh, you know, we got a great team at Crux. And, you know, we're coming out with a lot of new stuff, uh, you know, year in and year out, trying to, you know, fill the portfolio. But really what it is, it's just a logo that you see, you, you can resonate with. And it's it's got some medieval feel. And, you know, it's, 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 our, it's what we've had for 2014. And, you know, it's kind of what people recognize. And right. it's there's goods and bads about every logo. And I think we have a lot of positives with that one. So you read a lot of books or just that one? Well, I read that one. Right. Um, what else did I read? <laughs> Lately, I also read the I read the Joe Buck book. If anybody hasn't read that book, yeah. uh, um, I can't remember the title, uh, and I actually don't want to say it on air because it's it's a little bit. Uh, but that book <laughs> will will give you a, a great appreciation to the sports uh, broadcaster. You're world. such a sports guy. I and I'm a golf guy to be honest with you. Like right. I love golf. I played football, baseball, hockey. All the stuff in high school and you know college. Curling. What about curling? I love that's that's how I'm going to get my Olympic medal. By the way, yeah. I mean, I feel like in 30 years I still have a shot. It's true because there's a 50 year old on the Norwegian curling team right now who I watched, and now they got curling night in America and backing up. So sports was great, <laughs> uh, but golf is my passion with cigars now, and it's a thing that you can do by yourself for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's one of the only games you can start when you're three or four years old and play when you're 70, 80 years old, right? Uh, the golf, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, and, hey, uh, Casey, you want to tell people I can get a hold of you? Uh, we're at CruxCigars.com. Uh, we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Crux Cigars. Also, my personal is Casey Hogan Crux on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and feel free to check out our webpage, find our retailers, uh, our great Crux retail partners like, you know, these people here in Deltona. Ooh. Ooh. Cigar Hustlers. Oh, a shameless plug. Thank you. Uh, great plug for, you know, some great partners for us. But, no, they truly have been. They've been good partners for us here. And, you know, uh, it's guys like this that let us do what we do for a living as full-time. And, I mean, this is my full-time gig, and, and this is what we love to do. You know, cigars, golf, and, you know, shooting the shit. There you go, man. And uh, thank you very much for coming yes, on Yes, thank show. you for coming on and taking the time and to come all the way up from Miami. You are a good guy, man. We do we, we do have a good relationship. I know that we uh, beat each other up a little well, bit. But. but my brother and I have a great relationship, too, but nobody's ever made more fun of me than him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I feel like if, if in this industry, if you got thin skin, you're going to lose. Oh, yeah. And the time. fact is, my best relationships uh, in this industry are guys that I can treat like family, that right. I can treat like brothers. Don't get me wrong. We're going to give you shit right. because you need to be called out on it right. because you don't have those friends now that are, you know, like you're in high school that you don't do shit because they tell you it's stupid. Right. As we grow older, we need our friends to do that. And, you know, we are immersed in our industry and those become our friends. That's I mean, true. I moved to a city that I knew nobody for my business, for our business with my, you know, my partners and my cousin. And like, I made that effort to move there. And the fact is, it's a community in our industry that is unlike no, nothing else that I've ever been a part of. And friends, family, brothers, sisters, it's, it's, it's 
pretty extraordinary. Very true, man. Uh, when you go, when you're in Miami, what's your favorite shop to hang out at? I hang out at, a, at a, probably the most unique boutique sh- cigar store in uh, Southwest Miami called Caribbean Cigars. Ah, yes. Um, and there's a lot of great reasons why I'm there. One of them because they're a good customer of mine, and they sell our <laughs> cigars, and they sell your cigars. They do. And they, they, they do. they're a boutique shop, and right. they they sell a lot of great stuff. And you know, and they're open till midnight. Right. Um, they're open noon to uh, noon to midnight every day. So like, I don't have to try to get there by seven o'clock because when we're in town, you know, we're running. You know, it's right. I don't get to be in Miami as much as I want. I'd love to stay at the beach. So I always tell people, buy more of my cigars, buy more of our cigars, and uh, you know, I'll get to spend more time on the beach. Right. There you go. That sounds good. Alan is an awesome guy. He. Uh, and it's definitely always entertaining if you walk into that shop, it no matter is. what. It's a time. meeting of the minds when you're there. You're going to see cigar manufacturers. I mean, it's kind of the out-of-the-way cigar manufacturer spot. we got guys like Hector Alfonso from Espinosa hangs out awesome. there. you got Jack Taranio from Taranio Cigars. Awesome he hangs too. out there. Uh, I mean, you know, you come down there. You know, when Mike comes into town, he's always there. Rosales from Roma Craft. Right. Uh, Lorenzo from HVC is always there. He's a good dude, too. Um, <laughs> like, you got, you, got, you got just industry kind of night can happen. On any random given Tuesday, I mean, Spencer Drake was just there a couple of days ago. Right, I the, believe the, the, the legendary, the legendary for the first time ever in his life. <laughs> um, but uh, he travels, um, but he's got he's got a, he's got great representation down there as well. So right, um, you know, there's a lot of lot of good people that hang out there, and you know, and there it's a very great shop in in South Florida, and you know, uh, we appreciate those guys as well. I mean, that's a home away from home, even though it's 50 minutes from where I live. It's where I hang out the most. 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. But how far is that? In like, how many blocks is that in Miami? Oh, it's two. No, two no, no, no. So I, it's. I it's, go down the elevator. No, it's it's highway driving. Really? Yeah, I'm on the other side. Oh no, that's shit. southwest. I'm I'm north of Miami in Sunny Isles Beach. Gotcha. So closer to the beach. So it's still a commitment to go visit. Right on the beach. That's where you live. Right on the beach. right on the beach. Uh, it's a commitment, but so it's, he's on the beach. Is what he's it's, to say. So where exactly are you located? Just on right the beach. on the beach. Oh, okay. Uh, nice. But it's it's not it's that's the commitment home. The commitment. Right. It's my office is like halfway between both. Gotcha. So I mean, it must be really cool to go home and and stare at the beach for about ten friggin' minutes and then you gotta get back, back out your on bags, the road. Get back you know. plane. It's it's a great vacation spot <laughs> um, that I pay rent to it all the time. And where you cry at on Sundays. Cry, <laughs> curl up in a ball, <laughs> hang out with my friends, which is myself. All right, all right. This is getting too dark. <laughs> this is getting way too. It's going dark. way the wrong way. All right. So is that is that it? Mr. Uh, that, that's it. That's all we got. Uh, that's the end of the show. Well, I all just right. want to thank you guys for having me on. Uh, Cigar hustlers, Crux Cigars. Check us out social media, uh, CruxCigars.com. Find our retail partners. Check out where we are online. Buy more Crux and go Crux yourself. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Later. All right, gang. That's it. Show's over. Time to put out that cigar and get back to work. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. Everybody get hustling. Bow, 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 bow,